I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It started 40 years ago as scholars trying to construct a theory about how the world really works. We need a Republican Congress to ban critical race theory. You know, I had it banned through executive order and it was fine. We need criminal justice reform, but that isn't nearly enough. We need to open the promise of America to every American. Educators across the country are rethinking how we address race and its impact on all areas of society in the classroom. One of the tools is critical race theory. At least 25 states introduced legislation to limit how public school teachers can talk about issues of race in the classroom. But now, many Americans see critical race theory as a divisive ideology that threatens the unity of their country. Parents all over the country are standing up to the threat of critical race theory. Uh, It's taking over kids' education. When you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other... But are people in danger of overreacting? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, critical race theory and the war for America. In early June, a mother in Virginia, born in Chairman Mao's communist China, got up at a school board meeting. Uh, Growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same... And described critical race theory as the American version of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. This is uh, Zee Van Fleet, who is a mother in uh, Ladoon County in Virginia. And her son graduated in 2015, but she appeared at a school board meeting. That's Will Pavia, New York correspondent for The Times, who has been following this story. She basically was protesting against what is known as critical race theory. And she was saying that the school was essentially dividing up its pupils by race. And she compared it to what she had experienced growing up in China during the Cultural Revolution. She fled China when she was 26 and she came to America and she said that she was very sad to see that this was the same thing was happening. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers again turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. Um, we were taught to denounce our heritage. We are also encouraged to report on each other, just like the uh, Student Equity Ambassador Program and the Bias Reporting System. As far as she was concerned, what was the same thing? The idea of dividing people up into good people and bad. She felt that critical race theory was doing the same thing. And so opponents of critical race theory or people who think they're opposing critical race theory say that it essentially divides people up into oppressors and oppressed. So white people being oppressors and being top of the privileged tree and black people being the oppressed. And it forces students to apologise for their participation in a system It isn't often that a debate between academics becomes a phenomenon that preoccupies millions. 
I like to think of myself as clued in, but I'd never heard of critical race theory until very recently. Just like most Americans, I should think. But now, apparently, it's everywhere. In the schools, the workplace, even the military. And to many, it's become a symbol of an oppressive wokeness that they are very anxious to defeat. But what exactly is it? Critical race theory emerges in the 1970s, and it's a theory that's kicked about by legal scholars. And they are looking at the successes of the civil rights era, and they're wondering why progress seems to have stalled in terms of reaching greater equality between races. And so they come up with this idea of critical race theory. It's really a way of looking at the world and a way of analysing things. And they say that there is systemic racism which holds back a class of people And it basically looks at the way in which government policies have discriminated against black Americans, for instance, in cities, stopping them from buying houses and affording them lesser health care. And so it says that these disadvantages are baked into the system. Right. So essentially, it says we did all this Martin Luther King business and we got formal civil rights, but something failed to happen. And the something that failed to happen is because of this, the baked-inness of racism into the system. And unless you understand that, you can never really deal with it. Is that broadly it? That's it. And, and not only that, they say that this what this means is that policies which race blind, that appear to be completely equal in their treatment, are actually also exacerbating this racial inequality. Okay, so what would, what would be an example of that? Well, I suppose in schooling, it would be those admissions tests that are the same admissions test for everyone. And so you might say, well, that's perfectly fair. But advocates of critical race theory would say, well, black candidates are coming from a disadvantaged place. And so there's no way they can compete on the same playing field. And it's unfair to subject everyone to the same test in that sense. It recalls some of the arguments over university admissions. The other one is, I suppose, housing. The uh, federal government in the 1930s outlines neighbourhoods, which it deemed high risk, and you couldn't get insurance for a mortgage there. And that essentially ensured that in those neighbourhoods, which were mainly black, people couldn't buy their homes and led to these neighbourhoods, which were more deprived, and that persists today. And the other big one is healthcare. And there are still studies which show that if you're an expectant mother you're, and you're black, your outcomes are, are much worse. And there are all kinds of other illnesses and diseases where, where outcomes for black people seem to be significantly worse than, than for white people. I suppose critical race theory, the broad argument would be that some people are still treated differently, no matter what people's individual opinions and prejudices might be. And so you get these inequalities that are sort of baked in by these policies. And even if you now treat everyone equally... These inequalities still exist. So would an example be the argument about voting when certain states try to restrict voting on a basis which doesn't seem to have anything to do with race, but then the argument becomes that black people are more significantly actually disadvantaged by this thing, even if they're not formally targeted? Yes, I suppose things like ID requirements, you know, people who oppose those voting restrictions would say, well, Black people have less access to those services and they're less likely to have an ID. And so, yeah, no, that's that's not a bad comparison. It's a series of observations about how things work out in practice. How does it become something more all-encompassing than that? Right. So critical race theory becomes 
an issue that something that people have actually heard of in this country after the murder of George Floyd by the police in Minneapolis. And after that, there are all these protests and schools, along with companies and everyone else, start to examine how they can teach their pupils anti-racism and how they can adjust their curricula in order to account for what they've been missing. And this all happens at a time when parents, because of the pandemic, are able to watch uh, what their kids are being taught. And so there's some early protests of something akin to critical race theory, although it's really it's just anti-racism training in the private schools of New York, where parents kick up a huge fuss over what they see their kids being taught. Protests over the recent deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor have sparked a renewed dialogue on racism in America. Advocates for reform want policy and governmental changes. But there are also questions about what we can do as individuals to recognize our own inherent racism and to work to change that. The other source of this becoming more of a general thing is Donald Trump issues an order banning critical race theory and its use in the federal government. Regulations to indoctrinate America's school children with poisonous and divisive left-wing doctrines such as critical race theory and exact opposite of the American belief that we all are created equal in the holy image of God. And he gets this idea from an activist in Seattle named Christopher Rufo, who goes on Fox News and says that uh, the federal government are being taught this alarming new theory that tells all of its employees that they're victims of systemic racism or, or upholding it or are kind of complicit in it. It's absolutely astonishing how critical race theory has pervaded every institution in the federal government. And what I've discovered is that critical race theory has become, in essence, the default ideology of the federal bureaucracy and is now being weaponized against the American people. And so Trump actually invites this guy to the White House and later issues an executive order banning it from use in, in the federal government. He gives the argument, which we've heard more and more, which is that it's dividing people up by race and it's making white people guilty, laying on them the responsibility of all the racial inequalities in the country. And it's also attached to what Republicans and what the conservatives see as the sort of this overreaction by Democrats and by left and more liberal Americans who are trying to respond to this awful killing of George Floyd and are going too far in trying to both enforce and use political correctness. During the social earthquake that followed George Floyd's murder, various government agencies began anti-racism programs and workshops for their employees. That's what led to that ban by Donald Trump. I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical a revolution that was taking place in our military, uh, in our schools, all over the place, and you know it, and so does what, everybody what, what else. Radical? And he would know it. Okay, but I presume that he then came up against the same problem we've got, which is, what is the thing that you are banning? It's training courses, and, and actually there weren't very many of them, and I think he identified three places where it, it happened. One was in the Treasury Department, and one was in the FBI, and one was at the Sandia National Laboratories, which was responsible for energy. In some cases, these were voluntary, and he argued that critical race theory was being used to re-educate federal employees in this way. Those departments have all denied that they were using critical race theory in anything like the way that he's portrayed it. But that was what he said, and he said that it was sort of internalizing 
racial superiority and it was making these white employees feel complicity in a system of white supremacy. And so he portrayed it in very, very stark terms, which certainly exercised Trump and also became this rallying cry for conservatives. Okay. And did those training courses stop while he was president or did they carry on? Or Yes. Trump gave an executive order banning them. Biden rescinded that on his first day in office. Yes, we need criminal justice reform. But that isn't nearly enough. We need to open the promise of America to every American. And that means we need to make the issue of racial equity not just an issue for any one department of government. It has to be the business of the whole of government. Is the federal government now full of people undertaking these training courses? I think they're very rare. I don't think there's many of them. But I think after George Floyd, in the same way that lots of companies held meetings and seminars to try and address the question of racism in their own ranks, the federal government did the same thing. It doesn't sound like every federal employee, you know, is being marched into a room to account for their sins. If my long career in journalism is anything to go by journalist organisations, some of these training courses can be pretty clumsy. Yes, I think that's right. He said that some employees were made to write letters of apology to their black colleagues, and there didn't seem to be any evidence of that. But there was evidence of, of one person written, apparently written a letter saying that he wished he'd been able to create a safer space for his colleagues. So, you know, you could see what he was getting at, even if he wasn't always entirely correct in what he was saying. And, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure some of these things were taught with a certain amount of zealotry. And there was a lot of that about, and that certainly seems to be true in schools as well, especially private schools. They all issued very stark statements of their responsibility to readjust and change the way they operated and to bring pupils and parents along with them. So there was, there was a huge amount of enthusiasm for trying to address racial inequality and racism. I was just wondering how much of this also originates actually in what happens in American universities, where you do seem to get these incredibly high-octane arguments which are massively intolerant. Yes. I mean, I suppose you could see it as feeding down from that. American universities were very quick to embrace the idea that you should check your privilege and that they should provide a safe space for people to have debates, but that certain ideas might be wounding to students and that they shouldn't be allowed. And we're constantly seeing these sort of cases of professors being cast out for speaking against certain things in certain policies. So I do think that, that that's probably correct, that some of the vitriol of campus life has fed down into the schools. Coming up, we'll discuss how the polarisation was picked up by the two big political parties. But first, a word from one of my colleagues. Hi, I'm George Buffnot, the deputy editor of the Sunday Times Insights Investigations team. It's you, the listeners and subscribers, who enable the Insight team to investigate the government's response to the pandemic. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with the Times and the Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, we have these workshops and programmes being taken up in schools. But it's the pandemic, so a lot of this is happening online at home, where parents can see it. In fact, they also get seminars. And that's where the debate hots up. It made some of them very cross. And this is almost the first time that I heard of there being an issue over this. And actually, it wasn't critical race theory, to be fair. It was anti-racism training, is what it was called. But it had a lot of the same kind of ideas within it. And so the two are often grouped together. But basically, these very high-end Manhattan schools, parents started to speak out. And it wasn't that many parents, but it was a few of them. And because no one seemed to be willing to go on the record on the other side, they spoke quite powerfully. And I remember one of them in particular, a guy called Andrew Gutman, who uh, ran his family chemical company, and he was obviously a fairly wealthy guy. And he was horrified by what his kids were being taught and what he was also being made to be taught. Remember, he advanced the argument, which some would probably question, which was that systemic racism didn't exist after the civil rights era. And he basically gave the case, which a lot of conservatives now advancing in critical race theory, which was that people have individual prejudices and biases, but that there's not some grand system which is systematically suppressing black people. His letter to his children's private school in New York went viral. Here he is speaking to Fox News. I have gotten thousands and thousands of emails to me. And in one sense, they've been overwhelmingly supportive, which is great. And people have said that they feel now empowered to speak up for their kids and their kids' education. But the flip side of that is I had no idea how entrenched and pervasive this critical race theory and this anti-racism initiatives were in our schools across the country. I knew it was in New York City independent schools. I knew it was in some California schools. I had no idea it was in public, private, religious schools, really in all 50 states. And, that, and that's really the scary part, because we really need to fight this to get this out of our schools. Was the problem that the other side of the argument wasn't allowed to be put? In other words, the assumption simply was, we're going to tell you that there is this systemic racism. You're not really allowed or encouraged to say what Goodman said, which is, I'm not so sure that's true. Yes, I think there was a great deal of social pressure at that time. And I remember trying to speak to one of the schools about this. And, and, I, and I remember trying to get someone to actually speak up in favour of what they were teaching. 
And I asked one of the school, I said, well, you know, just put me in contact with a parent who is a big supporter of this. And they couldn't find one. And they, they eventually sent me a statement from a parent who wanted to be anonymous, who said that she was very, very supportive of the school's program. And it, it was almost slightly creepy. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of read like a, a company PR statement rather than a genuine statement of affection for this thing. And I, I just took that, that there was a great deal of pressure and people were nervous about speaking against it, I think. I mean, the schools say that there were these very frank and open discussions and that they were trying to support pupils as they had them and that they were dealing honestly. One of the things that makes me feel, as you've been talking and look back on, is other rows to do with American schools. And I don't know if you recall, there was a big argument about the teaching of creationism. And I remember one girl famously going on the record saying, I don't want you to teach me what I don't believe. Schools seem to be, American schools seem to be a a bit of a kind of litmus paper for this kind of thing. Yes. I mean, (laughs) they are this test bed for all the rows that are going on in American culture. And it's partly because I suppose they're controlled by school boards and by states and cities. The federal government supplies the money and it, you know, but when it tries to supply a curriculum, there's a huge controversy about it and the idea of the government messing or meddling in education. So these things which divide people become these huge issues here. And I suppose creationism is one and the way history is taught is another. And actually getting onto critical race theory, a lot of the states that have passed laws trying to ban the teaching of critical race theory in schools, some of them also ban something called the 1619 Project, which was a sort of New York Times-led project to analyse the country's past and sort of recast it as uh, differently sort of taking the history of slavery in America and looking at how that had affected the way the country was made. Here's Republican John Torbett in the North Carolina Senate shortly before one such bill was passed there. House Bill 324 demonstrates the General Assembly's intent that students, teachers, administrators and other school employees recognise the equality and rights of all persons. Additionally, it prevents discriminatory concepts from being taught as fact or endorsed in North Carolina school districts. This bill does not change what history can and cannot be taught. It simply prevents schools from endorsing discriminatory concepts. Is it also kind of an area for a proxy fight between the left and the right with everybody else, if you like, kind of caught in the middle. We saw with that video of uh, Z Van Fleet, that's something that was almost weaponized. It's very powerful stuff. And who would have expected that you'd find someone who grew up in communist China being able to speak against critical race theory uh, in a school in Virginia? So I think that the school boards and what happens on them, especially actually perhaps during the pandemic when a lot of them were virtual, so people were logging in at home and, and more people logged into them, there was a certain heightening of of these debates. But yeah, I certainly think that that you hear things that were said at school board meetings echo into the broader political landscape and are taken up by the parties. And Republicans in particular, I think, quite often find these battles that are being fought as evidence of something that that voters care about and that that will perhaps energise their base. So does that mean that the Republicans on the right have taken up Gizan Fleet as a, as a kind of poster person for their side of the argument? I think so. She's certainly one of them. And 
they see this as a really good issue for them. I mean, this guy, uh, Christopher Rufo, he spoke with the Washington Post recently about what he was trying to do with critical race theory. And he's also sort of talked about it on Twitter. We have successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we will put all the various cultural insanities under that brand category. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. This is seen as something that could very much help the Republicans at the midterm elections. At a recent Conservative Christian conference for the Republican Party, a number of speakers, including Mike Pence and Ted Cruz, referenced critical race theory. Critical race theory is racism, pure and simple. And it should be rejected by every American of every race. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. Some broadcasters see this as a manufactured issue designed to get voters annoyed and benefit Republicans at the polls. This is the result of a highly manufactured strategy created by seasoned political operatives looking for the perfect wedge issue to take back power. Something to combat the energy of the multiracial coalition that took Georgia. Parents are fighting with school boards in, in cities and towns across the country over curricula that they believe teaches white kids that they are racist. None of this is actually happening. But who cares about a little old thing like the truth when you have the perfect campaign buzzword for 2022? A certain kind of voter probably hasn't heard of critical race theory, but if they can lump all these other things under it, then perhaps it will become something that gets people to vote. Lumping together would be easier if there weren't some non-obvious support for teaching about systemic racism. Here's the chairman of the US's Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. On the issue of critical race theory, I do think it's important, actually, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university, and it is important that we train and we understand, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. Where do you think it's all going to go from here? <sighs> I suppose the question is, do you think that's going to work? In American schools, although there were great efforts to desegregate them, some of them remain quite segregated, including in New York City. And there are deep racial inequalities here. And I think the argument, the bigger argument from, from critical race theory becomes one about either if you're either for equality or you're for equity. In other words, are you for treating everybody exactly the same, no matter what their race is? Or are you for acknowledging that certain people are coming with certain disadvantages? Now, of course, conservatives will say, well, you're actually making it worse for black students, but you're not holding them to the same standards. And conservatives frequently say that critical race theory itself is racist. But I suppose proponents would say, no, we're trying to level a playing field that has been so horribly uneven for so long. And I just think this, this issue, especially in schools, it's just not been sorted out. And so you can imagine that this thing will carry on. It's hard to say whether schools are actually teaching critical race theory. I, I don't think they are. I mean, I, it's, it's a slightly kind of obscure legal theory and means of analysis that's been broadened out. And perhaps you can see it in some of the ways that they're trying to talk to their students about racism. But schools are going to continue to do that. And 
how it's portrayed, I think, will still be quite a powerful thing. It's hard to know what to make of it here in Britain. Everything seems that much angrier in the States. But I can't help thinking that this is all about a period of adjustment, when, after a time when many American whites thought the racism problem was solved, they discovered that it wasn't. In this period, all kinds of things get said by all kinds of people. Some of them will hardly be remembered in 10 years' time. The row over critical race theory might be one of those. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Will Pavia, New York correspondent for The Times. You can find all of Will's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Chris Hemmings and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, that'd be good, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. 